What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Thomas Free Me, the Thomas Free Me TV and Podcast Show. Coming at you again with another episode. Crucial Talks, man. How's everybody doing? How's everybody been? Not really too much going on here, man. You know, I'm getting ready for my trip to Switzerland. Um, I leave Wednesday. Nine-hour flight straight to Zurich. Kind of anxious, nervous. Um, don't know what to expect, man. So I, I really, uh, hey, man, you know, take it as it comes. But many blessings to everybody. Um, this here in itself is a blessing. Um, so I'm starting on a case by the name of John Merritt. John Merritt, um, John Merritt is here in Florida, incarcerated, been incarcerated for 40 years. And I'm going to review his case from start to finish. The family has delegated me to be the spokesperson for Mr. John Merritt and help him bring to light the fact that he is an innocent man in prison and the corruption behind his case to incarcerate this innocent man for the last 40 years. So his family lives in Switzerland. That's where all his paperwork is at. So I'm going to Switzerland, man. Going to Switzerland to to mingle with the people. Mingle with the crowd. Switzerland, if you listen to me, I'm coming, man. You better treat me right. Thomas Freeman's going to be in the house. And we're going to do what Thomas Freeman does. Turn things up. You know, I've never been to Switzerland. Don't know what to expect. But, you know, I'm coming. So we're going to go over there, get all the paperwork, ship it back over here. That way it's here safe in Florida. It will be stored with Coming Home Coalition. And if you can, please look them up, www.cominghomecoalition.com. They are going to start securing and storing inmates' property that is valuable to inmates, and they do not have family to store it. So uh, keep a lookout on that. Again, www.cominghomecoalition.com. So... Uh, yeah, we'll be storing storing his paperwork there and get this man out of prison. So this is this is what I'm going to be doing for the next couple of weeks, man. I come back from Zurich on the 24th. Um, I may record while I'm out there. Internet is limited. I believe I'm going to be in the countryside, so I really don't know what to expect. But, man, I'm just going going for the experience, man. You know, this is an opportunity for me to explore. God willing, God bless. Um, and I took it, you know, why not? So there's that September 1st, I will be moving into the office. I'm getting our podcast booth set up in there and getting everything professionalized, man. You know, I, I know that a lot of my listeners and my supporters probably get frustrated with the inconsistency and I try the best that I can do, but I've explained in prior podcast is very very difficult for me right now i'm in transition got a lot of things going on and um and I, i've just had to put put things on pause just to make sure that everything gets gets up and running you know being a founder of a nonprofit now uh here in the tampa bay area we're getting ready to fundraise we got holidays coming up again if you guys can donate uh, soaps, deodorant, the travel size, soaps, deodorants, toothpaste, toothbrushes, shower shoes, uh, tampons, things for the ladies, you know, feminine hygiene, um, Narcan, anything of that nature, 
The address will be in the link to send this stuff to. Please start shipping it. Donations, www.cominghomecoalition.com. Donations are welcome. Again, the holidays are coming up, and we want to try to get some of these things out to the homeless these holidays. I believe it's going to be a brutal winter, so we're going to start trying to stock up another great item. Let me tell you, is them, them, uh, I don't even know what to call them, them aluminum foil-looking, tin-looking blankets that fold up real small and keep them insulated and warm. The foil blankets, if they're like a dollar or two, we need thousands of those. Get us there so we can start getting them out to the homeless. We'll broadcast all that stuff live. Now, on to today's show, Mr. Frank De Palma. Now, within this show, you're going to hear a discussion about Mr. Frank De Palma and his trials and tribulations with a group called the Aryan Warriors. And I'm going to put this guy's picture up on the screen. I, I don't know who this guy is. I was trying to confirm in the short time that I, I ran across this, this handsome fella. And um, as you can see, he is built for intimidation. Right? This is what these guys look like. He has... To me, he's got a lot of pain in his eyes, right? This picture that I'm looking at right here. And he is an Aryan warrior. And how do I know that? Because well, he's got it tattooed right across his forehead. So these guys are filled with pain, anger, hate, and most dangerous of all is ignorance. When you have all of those things combined, it, it makes for a, a pretty deadly human being. And... When you take away hope, then it's just that human being is nothing but just a, a, a carcass of meat, you know, that's just there to survive and, and, and raise carnage for the most part. These people are dangerous. They are bullies. They're bullies, no doubt. They are dangerous. But when you catch them alone... They become sheep, you know, because at the end of the day, they're bullies. But it's just never catching these people alone. And they're a network. And this is what makes them powerful and strong. So I'm going to go ahead and read you a little bit of who the Aryan warriors are, because you're going to hear Mr. Mr. Frank De Palma get into exactly what I'm getting ready to read you and explain to you what happened and how. He got sentenced to 10 years and ended up doing 43, just shy of 43, and 22 of those in solitary confinement. So, moving along to Mr. Handsome Guy right here. The Aryan Warriors is a criminal gang that operates inside the Nevada prison system and in certain communities in Nevada. They offer protection to white inmates if they join the gang. The history. The Aryan Warriors began in 1973 in the Nevada State Prison System. The gang designed after the California gang, the Aryan Brotherhood, sought to protect whites against the growing attacks from black prisoners. After seeing a charter member from the AB being turned down, the AW gang was on its own. 
About a year into its creation, the gang, who up to now was unable to organize, was taken over by an older inmate doing a life sentence named the Pope. Familiar with the way the AB gang worked, the Pope began to organize and structure the Aryan warriors. He established rules for all gang members to follow in a hierarchy of leadership. Building up the physical strength of the AW became a priority. Focusing on its enemy, primarily black inmates, became its target. Building the gang's reputation for violence and selecting future members based on their strength and violent backgrounds became its mission. The Gang Structure The Pope designed a structure of leadership for all to follow. To this day, members adhere to a written manifesto which establishes positions or ranks within the gang, such as horn holders, quote-unquote leaders, bolt holders, full members, prospects, potential members, and associates, non-members who are affiliated with the organization. In order to become a full member, a prospect is required to perform a violent act as dictated by the horn blowers. Once they do it, they become bolt holders and are tattooed or branded with lightning bolts on the inside of their left biceps. To rise to the next level, horn holders, they must perform a more serious violent act, which often include murder. Once completed, they are given a tattoo with a Viking helmet with the letters AW, which is put on their left upper chest. Horn blowers under the direction of the top leader are in charge of running all gang activities. Black gangs rise to the threat. Not willing to succumb to Aryan warriors, the blacks organized the black warriors and duplicated much of the AW symbols, like the helmet with a horn. Power struggles began to go on the prison yard, a place the black inmates had long controlled, and a war between the two gangs became imminent. The Aryan Warriors Prepare for War The Aryan Warriors had perfected the skill of manufacturing weapons inside prison, and with the impending war with the black warriors close at hand, production sped up. They also met with the Native Americans, who had also suffered attacks from the BWs, and the two groups made a pact to fight on the same side to bring down the BWs. The showdown occurred in the prison cafeteria and the blacks, many unarmed and taken by surprise by the AWs and native attackers, lost the battle. The whites and the natives now had full control of the prison yard. The thirst for more power. Now in control, the Aryan warriors sought even more power and began going after those who they were supposed to be protecting, white inmates. Intimidation and threats were used to extort money from white inmates and their families. Those who refused would be beaten and sold as prison yard prostitutes. Instead of focusing on protection, the AW was now focused on drug distribution, extortion, and weaponry. Aryan Warriors or Aryan Witnesses on November 5, 1980, a group of AWs murdered an inmate, Danny Lee Jackson, who they suspected to be a snitch. 
They then bragged about it in the prison yard. The murder and the boasting turned out to be a fatal mistake for the gang. Robert Manley was a young prison deputy with an eye on the future. His door to the future opened when given the responsibility to find out who murdered the inmate. The A.W., who had spent years extorting inmates and had many enemies willing to talk to Manley, this gave the deputy enough information to corner the A.W. gang members. Many who rolled over and became state witnesses, in return, several received early releases. No longer having any hope of charter membership into the AB organization, and with many of its members gone, the AW had lost most, most of his power. His leader, the Pope, died in 1997, which proved to devastate the gang's power even more. When we get into talking about what you're going to hear Mr. Mr. De Palma break down is true enough indeed, right? These are factual events, the rapes, the murders, the extortion, the beatings, things of that nature. And there are a lot of real convicts out there right now that I, I associate and, and speak with. A lot of them are, I'm, I'm waiting to get on the show, but there are a lot of them out there that see these quote-unquote convict channels getting on here, glamorizing, you know, these events. Um, it's, it's disgusting that these people get out of prison and do this type of stuff for likes and subscribes and, and sell out to these big organizations because this is what continues to keep the prison industrial system going. And for these guys that did this large amount of time to come home and still dupe the society into into society thinking that they're convicts, that they were tough and and all of these things just to tell their, you know, these these stories, right? It 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 muddies the waters, you know. And when you hear Mr. Frank De Palma talk about the issues that he's going to elaborate on, it makes his story more unbelievable, you know? And the fact is, is that these things do not occur. Who these things occur to are weak people, weak-minded people, people who are desperate for friendship, who are maybe addicted to something, whether it be gambling or, or porn or any kind of those deviant activities, right? Anybody that's addicted to those things puts themselves in positions for beatings, extortion, debt. Debt is what gets you into these 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 crucial moments, you know, getting into debt. Um, but you have a lot of these people who who go into prison and become gang members in prison because they're scared. They know that they cannot walk a walk by themselves and they need protection. So they go in there looking for that type of protection. And they weren't gangbanging on the street. It wasn't their lifestyle. And true OG gangbangers, right, that was, that was banging out of survival, right, they see right through these people. And again, these people are putting themselves in positions for harm. Because, yes, just like in life, there are dark alleys. There's darkness. 
there is evil and it's in a more concentrated area no question and just like any other time any other position i feel this again these are just my opinions but nine times out of ten we put ourselves in position for harm so you're going to hear Mr. Frank De Palma, which I'm, I've taken up enough of your guys' time. I know you guys haven't heard from me in a minute, and I did, you know, want to just share a couple little things with you. But you're going to hear Mr. Frank De Palma break down exactly what him, I, and and few other men do when they get in the prison, and that's to walk by yourself and be confident in who you are. Know that you've never wronged nobody. There's no reason for anybody to to have animosity towards you. You know, you you never ratted on nobody. You never stole, you know, from, from inmates, things of that nature. You lived convict code. You know, when you saw trouble going down, you turned the other way. It's none of your business, man. You know, it's none of your business. If you walk past the room and you see three dudes raping somebody look the other way and keep it pushing and keep your mouth shut don't even go tell you know the only person that you tell is your celly if you feel that it's something that you got to talk about it bothers you the only person that you tell is your celly that's what your celly is for that's why you got to have a good celly but if you ain't got no good celly then you can't even tell him you just go and you just tell it to the pillow man as they say Tell that shit to the pillow. But, you know, it bothers me. It bothers me that people come home from that place and, and, and glorify it the way that they do. It really, really irks the hell out of me, you know, because it's nothing to be glorified. If you've been in it, you know, if you've been in it and you've been through it, you know, you just wasn't watching from your window or from the law library or from the chow hall, from facilities. You know, you were in the mix. You know, you were in it, man. You're not, it's nothing to talk about. It's nothing to brag about because you know, I know, I'm very lucky. Man, I'm very lucky to come home, not only with all, all 20 digits, but no holes, you know. And not all these people can say that, you know, and, and that's the thing is, is I know from my own personal experience, if I was to get stabbed up, if I was to get raped, beat, anything of that nature, it was because I brought it upon myself. And I knew that going in and I made sure I followed through all through my bid. I kept a convict code because for me, a convict code is, is a lifestyle. It's not just something to keep me protected in prison because it's more dangerous out here dealing with people than it is in prison. In prison, you're dealing with people who straight up and you know who's in front of you. They have no choice because you got to show your paperwork. So you know who's in front of you out here. Man, let me get into the show. Y'all take care, man. I love you guys. Thank you for all of the support. I know I haven't really been forthcoming with it, man. Just all of the support. My subscribers, Miss Paula Randolph, thank you so much for, for the subscriptions. 
Laura Russell. Keep your head up, girl. You know, things are going to come through. Horrible, tragic story with her son. As soon as she's in a position to bring that, we're, we're going to bring that. But keep your head up, Laura. Um, Digital Magic 3.0, thank you for your support. Much love. And all the other supporters that, that, that have subscribed, man, we're doing it. Right, coming home coalition is a thing now. Right, it's it's got its own office. We're gonna be fundraising, and and we need more support. We need laptops. We need, man, we need furniture for the office. So if you got any of these things and you want to help out and you believe in what I'm doing, please reach out to me. All you gotta do is Google Thomas Freeman. Much help is needed. Much love is needed. It's all reciprocated. And returned 100. That's what we do. I'm here for you. Voice for the voiceless. Thomas Freeman. Peace. I'm out. Enjoy the show, man. One love. You can't handle the truth. So, before before we get into... Uh, finishing up your intake, you know, I wanted to touch briefly on what you were talking about as far as, uh, you know, just being a man, standing up for yourself. And I think at some point in our lives, we all have that choice, you know, that that decision that we have to make at some point. And for yeah. me, I mean, it was it was, you know, uh, the the face of my indictment, these these federal people telling me that if I went to trial Uh, They were going to give me life if I lost. And they showed me how they were going to give me life. You know, I was facing a a mandatory minimum of 10 years. So I knew even if I signed a plea, I was going to go away for 10 years. However, if I cooperated, right, told them everything that they wanted to know, um, I would do maybe two or three years. And the thing of it was, was that everybody on my case cooperated. They all turned against each other. They were turning against me. And in the face of my family, my friends, my, the mother of my child, everybody was telling me, just cooperate. Like, why are you going to trial? Why are you being a knucklehead? It makes no sense. Just cooperate. And I think at the end of the day, you know, I, I went in. Well, I, you know, I went and I spoke with the, the agents. I got with my, my attorney, who was a, a public defender at the time, you know, court appointed. And we went down and we talked to the agents and I saw at that point that these people were trying to pin things on me that I was not responsible for. And like you, I was not going to take ownership of something that I was not responsible for. Like if I was if I was going to plea out and I was going to cooperate for for what I did, then that's it. I'm going to tell you what I did. But when you're going to sit there and tell me that I'm lying and that you have proof that I was doing more then then that's it. The meeting's over with, you know, there's yeah. nothing else to discuss at this point. And then, you know, it, it was me going back, Frank, and looking myself deep in my pupils. I don't know. I was 27 at the time and my whole life I've been running, you know what I mean? Just running from so many different things, you know, running from my father, running from just running, you know, I was, I was just an insecure kid that knew nothing. You know, and but I looked myself in the eyes and in that moment, I knew that if I cooperated with these people, I was going to be in prison for the rest of my life, meaning 
I was going to, I was going to know that I was never, I will never be the man that I wanted to be. Exactly. You know what I mean? I knew yep. that I would never be a man and I would have to lie to people and f- be fake for the rest of my exactly. life. Exactly. You can't have that, right? You you I couldn't have, have it that. at that point. And that's no when I, I, I made that decision then. And, and, and the, the mother of my child hated me for it still to this day. She raised my child to hate me for it. And my parents would never understand why I did that much time. But like you said, my brother, Today, right now, I would not change anything, not one iota of my history. And the reason is because I, I can look myself in the face. In the I can right. look myself in the eye and be proud and love who I am because I stood in the face of hell and I told them to right. fuck off. That's right. And I can say, I can say with utmost confidence and truth that I have looked through my life and I know I have never stabbed anyone and betrayed anyone that be, that was, I, I can say, I called a friend, you know, I, I'd, I've never done that, but it's been done to me, but I don't let that harden me. I just, I just appreciate the real all that much more when it comes my way. I don't allow anything fake in my life, you know, uh, if it's a you know a guy running some weak ass game, I can see half these people when they, before they even step out their door. I, I I know it, and their game is weak, and I don't play that. I don't yeah. use people. I don't. I, I I find that I'm very humble around people. Somebody said you're very polite, Frank, and I live by the golden rule. It's very simple. <laughs> treat others as you want them to treat you. It's not well, hard for me. The, the what what why that saved my life in prison is because that gave me the strength and the courage to know that I was a man in that moment. Right. And that knowing that within me, having that courage within me to know that not only was I a man, but I was such a small percentage of man in the federal system. Right. Because not many people take the feds to trial that, that instantly, that instantly gained me notoriety within the system in itself, you know? So but what that did, Frank, was give me the courage that when I stepped into a place where my manhood was tested, right, it gave me enough conviction in, within myself to be able to look somebody deep in their eye and hold that stare and let them know, like, I'm not the one. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. And, and that's what that did, because that stare comes. And like you say, I can look a man in his eyes. And know within 10 seconds, his courage. Yep. You know, and, and that, and that is something that very few men have, but let's get back into you now getting into going through reception at Nevada state prison. All right. So I remember being taken into, uh, this, like, it was a shower area. It had benches and everything. It was, it was the intake where they did the processing. Back then, convicts did all that. They knew who you were, what your charges were, uh, you know, and if you was a child molester or whatever, uh, they would flag him and say, hey, and the guards would take him and they'd drive him down to NNCC, right? Uh, they couldn't be in the max yard because they'd get screwed off, you know? Uh, so I sit on the bench. They take the cuffs off me. And he said, stay here until you're called up there. 
well, I'm sitting there and somebody says, hey, Pappy, why don't you get this fish done, man, so we can go handle business. And uh, he said, I right. he calls me up there. He was just asking some questions, you know. And I remember he stamped the timestamp. I think it was 9.17 a.m. Uh, yeah, I think it was 9.17 a.m. And, and then he said, okay. He said, congratulations. You are now one of us, perhaps. Go out there and live or die. And as I said, uh, to me, uh, I mean, I had no idea. How prophetic those words. I remember those exact words this very day. Welcome because... to Thunderdome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boy, was it? Oh, my God. I remember when they took me, I was walking through the, the yard. You know, you'd have, it's a small yard at SP. And it was just a cell house back then. You got 600 people on the yard at one time. In this enclosed area, that's where everything was handled. You know, uh, business, uh, you know. And that, you know, a lot of things happened there. Uh, and I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> bars and everything. And back then, everything was all bars, sliding bar doors. And, and so they take me into this uh, screening cell. And the guy puts me in it. And uh, I can't believe what I see. <laughs> it's a tiny ass. I can touch both the walls with my hands. Mm -hmm. And I'm only 5'6". The toilet, it had to be from the late 1800s or, or the early 1900s, very early, because it was old. And the light was one of those old chain pole things. It had like a 40-watt or a 60-watt light bulb. And uh, somebody somebody warned me, check those light bulbs before you turn them on. Make sure there's no liquid in there. <laughs> you put gas and stuff. Yep, yep. And he ran it down. I'm checking the, the light bulb, right? I, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna keep it real. This guy, this 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 convict comes a little later with a big old steel tray, with half a butter knife, a fork, and a tablespoon metal. And he sets this on the on the food slot. And I said, I'm not hungry. And he just looked at me. And said, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> and turned around and walked away. Mm. I was intimidated. <laughs> this dude was tatted back. He was huge. I'm like, oh, my God, where am I? And they left, and the guard said, don't worry, somebody will be by to pick it up later. I wasn't. I had no appetite. I just sat straight down. And uh, I felt like I was going to cry. But something told me, this ain't, you got to put those away. You can't do that here. Right. And I knew that was going to come, but not that night. I cried. I cried, and I prayed, and I talked to my mom, yeah. you know, in my head. Amen. And, uh just ask God to get me through this, right? And uh, find somewhere along the way, I covered up with an itchy state blanket, brand new. Oh, it was itchy. And uh, them wool shits, yeah, sand, feel like sandpaper. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, and then uh, I finally fell asleep. Woke up. It was cold, and uh, most of the convicts didn't like the heaters turned on because they were the old steam ones. And they would clang and bang all night long. Mm -hmm. And people just, you know, and everybody liked to sleep when it was cold. They say you, you sleep better in the cold when you're under the covers. I hated the cold, but hey, I had to do it. You know, I dealt with it. So now you're you're 18 years old. You're in Nevada State Prison. You're on the yard now. Yep. So what happens yep. to an, 
and and this is 1975 still correct right right uh so what happens to a, to a 18 year old white a white boy an 18 year old well, white boy on the yard who had long hair okay <laughs> long hair back in the 70s right so yeah you're a pretty so, boy yeah yeah and uh and so I'm just staying to myself, walking around the yard. A couple of guys come up and say, uh, what's your name? And I tell them, I said, what are you in here for? Mm-hmm. And I tell them, but I'm figuring they already know because <laughs> these guys work in the, you know, and I see those same guys hanging out with these guys. So I guess he's just testing me, right? <clears throat> but I tell him the truth. And uh, he says, so what do you think of the place? I said, man, I, I hate it. <laughs> he said, yeah, well, it grows on you, man. You know, he said, just keep, uh, just keep your head up, man, and be a man. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he said, because you're going to get tested. You're going to get tested. I promise you that. He said, just do what your heart says to do. And mm-hmm. uh, he said, you'll find your way or you'll lose your way. Amen. <laughs> that was pretty, you know, and. And so I'm just always wondering, like, where the fuck is this? Is, what the hell's going on here, man? I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> you know? These guys belong here. I don't belong here. <laughs> you know? And uh, they're out there driving iron and, you know, uh, you know, you see something happening, you turn away from it, you know, uh, you don't want to be a part of it. Uh, you overhear something, you don't want to hear it, you get away. Uh, it's like, you know, you're just always... I was always like trying to be real careful, you know, not to get caught up in nothing. And the first year went by and I grew up in New York and I, and I came to where I fought a lot and just as a kid, you know, but it carried over into my older years, you know, uh, of course, uh, you know, like in Vegas, uh, guys, I mean, I come up where if you got a problem, you handle it right there. I was talking to some girl my first day in school. She approached me, so I'm I'm talking to her. And she likes my accent from my I got a New York accent I had. And she was really liking my voice. And she was pretty. So we're just talking. And uh we go our own ways. The next day, I go to school and this guy comes up to me and he says, Hey. That girl you were talking to yesterday, don't talk to her no more. I said, who the hell are you? You know, he said, uh, I'm her boyfriend. I said, she was just talking to me. Mm-hmm. Not asking me out on a date. And he said, well, just stay. I said, well, don't tell me what to do. He said, well, meet me in the park after school. <laughs> and I'm like, why then? Boom, I hit him. <laughs> and slammed his head into the locker like six or seven times. Threw him on the ground and walked him into my class. Yeah. <laughs> I get called out. My dad gets called. I guess I get two weeks suspended. And I tell him what happened. And he didn't give me an ass whooping that time. He said, but you're going to do your schoolwork. Mm-hmm. So we went in there and said, I want all two weeks of school. And he's going to do it. So they did. We sat there for another half hour while they did copy work, whatever. And uh, he said, you will get your schoolwork done. You'll do it all. <laughs> so and the retaliation again. There goes the retaliation again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, but I mean, I had to stand by him. I, I said, but dad, I, you know, yeah, I had to. He said, I didn't say you didn't. 
So how did that, how did that, how did that, um, you know, switch over into prison? Well, it, I did not hesitate and it was going to, I believe this in my experiences that somehow everything that we experience in life somehow gets woven into the fabric of time Mm. and either comes back to help or haunt us. Now there's aspects of the way my father raised me that came back to serve me well. Mm -hmm. In fact, it kept me alive. Amen. Uh, The things that he taught me and instilled in me, it's amazing how it came back to help me, (laughs) you know? Uh, And then while I was there and I was faced with life and death situations, uh, I called him. Well, that's, that's down the road. But uh, so the first year I had three fights. Well, your first test. So, so the first test that you had, you know, when, when, the, when, the, when the gentleman told you that you were going to be tested, right? Like when yeah. did your first test come? What did that look like? Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was about two months later, there was a guy, I can't remember his name, but I was sitting at the next table. I was by myself. These little, you know, little silver tables they have in there, mm-hmm. uh, bolted to the ground and all. I'm sitting there just, you know, looking at the tier, and some guys are talking. And one guy says, hey, what are you eavesdropping on our conversation for? Mm-hmm. I said, excuse me? He said, you heard what I said. And I said, I'm not, I don't, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I'm not listening to your conversation. I'm, it's none of my business. I'm just sitting here. I tuned you all out, man. It's none of my business. You know, and he said, I don't like your tone, dude. And I tell him, I, I don't give a fuck what you like. You know, I'm just doing sitting here. And he stands up. He said, you know, what's going on? And boom, I got off. And I whooped his ass. Uh, you know, uh, he gets up and uh, he said, this ain't over with. And I told him, I think it should be over with. You started this. I didn't listen to your fucking conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take this any to any other levels. I heard that word there, levels, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used it. And uh, because I wanted to sound like everybody else. I didn't want to sound like some fish. Uh, and, and, and I was in a situation where I was just being me. I just wasn't going to take nobody's shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so another dude comes over and said, hey, you guys fought, man. It's mm-hmm. over. You got your ass whooped, you know? <laughs> and uh, so... You know, a couple of guys like came up and introduced themselves and all that. And uh, I was aware of how I just was somehow something told me, don't, don't, don't start relating to these guys. Mm-hmm. So I backed away, excuse me, and, and stayed to myself. Uh, about three or four months later, I bumped into a guy. I said, excuse me. He wasn't having it. And he pushed me. I got off. We fought. I whooped his ass. Then, <laughs> then, about two months later, uh, something that something that was, he accused me of having some cleaning materials, and it wasn't me that that had them. Somebody mm-hmm. else. And he said, "Well, if it wasn't you, then who was?" And I said, I, "I'm not going to say. You know, it ain't none of my business." And so he said, "Then it's on you." <laughs> move that shit and i said no you move 
<laughs> and uh, he said, come in here. So I walked into his room. This guy, man, <laughs> he whooped my ass so good. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, everything he hit, man, hurt. Yeah. And uh, but it turns out, because I got a couple of shots off on him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was all. You know, he put me down. But he said, "Hey, you got some pretty good hands, youngster," and he helps me up. I was, I was hurting <laughs> already. My face was swollen shut. And he said, man, uh, go to the infirmary, man. Uh, you know, they'll take care of you. And uh, he said, if you ever need, need anything, let me know. I'm Thumper. Mm-hmm. Turns mm-hmm. out Thumper was probably one of the baddest motherfuckers in the joint. But mm-hmm. I held my own. Well, I didn't really hold my own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got smashed out. but you I did more know, than I, most I, I represented, you know. Yeah. yeah, I represented myself. And, uh, you know, uh, and he earned that ass whooping. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that was. But people were i i noticed that people were like more at ease with me uh they didn't tense up when i walked by because i'm the new guy watch out for this guy you know uh i followed the rules i stayed to myself i was unassuming and people knew that i would stand up for myself and i didn't create nothing it came my my way it's just shit that happens you know and uh so the first year went by and i had established myself. I got one more year to go, man. I'm out of here, right? Yeah. And I made it to this far, so that was great. Well, it was in March of 76, uh, right before the big riot, somebody comes up to me. The yard is just swarmed with people. Everybody's out. And, uh, Somebody said, uh, gives me the name, wants to talk to you. He's over there by the basketball court. So I, I go over there, and it's the guy who founded the Aryan Warriors. Uh, he said, you know who I am? And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, sit down. So I sit down, and uh, he said, what do you think about my organization? I said, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't think about it, you know. He said, you met any of my people? And uh, my soldiers and things. And I said, uh, I've met s- several people and, you know, I've observed, you know, I don't, I haven't really met anybody except a couple of old timers. And he said, uh, he said, well, they've been watching you for this last year. And so have I. And I've got nothing but good reports on you. He said, I think you'd be an asset to my organization. He said, I want to personally take you under my wing and raise you in the ways of a man and a warrior. And I took a little offense at that, that, that the part about being a man. And mm-hmm. I said, well, I don't know about the warrior part. I said, uh, well, my father started the process of teaching me to be a man, what a man's about. And I hope that life teaches me to be a good man. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, uh, listen, man, I said, uh, more power to you. I wish you all the best. I said, but I just want to get out. Mm-hmm. I know the rules. I'll be where I'm supposed to be when the time comes, like a race ride or something. I understand that. And I'll be there. I'll take that risk. But aside from that, man, uh, I just want to do my time and go home. And he said, you're saying no to me? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. <laughs> and he stood up and he, and he did this thing with his shoulder, you know, like he's brushing something off his shoulder. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that and he steps on it. Mm-hmm. That was me. And uh, 
And he said, you're dismissed. <laughs> My chest got hot, but I said, all right. All right. And I walked away. I had wobbly legs, man, scared to death. <laughs> and, uh, but I stayed true to how I was raised. And, and I said, no, I had every right to be an independent. I had every right to say no. But I said no to the wrong guy, a narcissist, someone who's so full of himself. And he was extremely intelligent, super intelligent, and a master psychological manipul manipulator. And Most he's very well read. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very well read. And he created an organization that was vicious. I mean, brutal. There was killings all the time. Uh, he had a hit squad. And people feared him. He even helped the blacks, the black mafia family. He said, you guys ought to start an organization, start your own thing. And he helped them put it together. But he was so smart. He was, he knew all their business. They would come to him. He was pretty much in, he knew everything. Mm -hmm. And I come to find out that when the heat started coming down, he would direct them somehow to those guys, give them some information and all that. And the, he, they would get the heat, mm -hmm. take the cheat off, uh, off of them. You know, uh, now in warfare, that's all, that's all fair, you know, uh, disinformation, all that. But in prison, all you got is your word mm -hmm. and your manhood. And you don't, you don't play with that. Uh, but he did. And he didn't care. Uh, the dude was ruthless. He had... He was not capable of love. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, could, I could just feel that. He was depraved. Uh, it turns out he was a serial rapist. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, but everybody feared him. I'm going about my business, you know, and just minding my own business. And one month, I believe it was one month to the day after I said no to him, it was towards the evening. Uh, and four blacks came into my cell. Uh, two more known black mafia family gangbangers, and two were just gophers, you know, wannabes. Uh, you know how small small the cells are, so you can't really get around. You know, you're packed in there. Yeah, you're four stuck. guys in there. It was really crowded. Yeah, you're stuck. Yeah, and but they had. I had, I didn't know whether to say something, but they had disrespected me by coming into my cell without my permission. No question. But I didn't say nothing. Mm -hmm. And this one tall black guy, uh, he said, hey, man, how you doing today? I said, I'm all right, you know? And he had another, like, a buck dude, you know, that turned out to be his enforcer. His name is Knuckles, his yard name. Uh, I don't want to mention this guy's name. We'll call mm -hmm. him Chuck. Uh, uh, and the two, two gophers. And he said, so uh, have you chose yet? And I'm, I'm naive, and I, I think he's talking about gang, gang banging. Mm -hmm. And I said, I told the whites, no. I said, but why would you ask me? I'm white. I can't, you know, be. And he said, no, 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 man. I'm talking about a pretty young thing like you. Need somebody to take care of you. Mm -hmm. And that lack of hesitation on my part, like, pops. I just immediately grabbed this hardwood and handle brush, you know, hardwood. And I just, it was heavy, and I swung it and cracked him in the head and hit his enforcer in the head, and the other two took off to go let the other people know. Uh, and I'm just wildly swinging this, and I hit the, his enforcer again. This guy punches me in the head, and I just unload. 
the other guy gets out of the cell and uh jumps up and he's running down he was pretty fucked up uh but this guy i really hit him bad you know and i stopped when i saw the blood and i saw you know and uh couple of there was a couple of Aaron warriors that lived on the tier and they came running down and they said oh man i said man they tried to fucking rape me what am i supposed to do mm-hmm. and they said hey you're all right man just just give that brush that handle to the guy next door uh so i take it over to him he's, and so right, i'll take care of it mm-hmm. and so Co- uh, the, 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 I mean, that's guy, what convicts do. That's what we do. We we take care of it. Yeah. So the guy uh, that I hurt real bad, he has to go to the hospital. It's bad because he's the number two guy in the Black Mafia from the BMF. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's bad. I don't, I'm not aware of that right now, but all I know is four guys wanted to have sex with me turn me into a girl and you could do that. But when I'm dead, yeah, I'm not going to be alive when you do that. Yeah. <laughs> Understand that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it was the fear that, and, and, and that, and that other feeling I came to know, and I came to know very well down the road, but, uh, uh, we get locked down. And as per the way it was later on, the Lieutenant comes up, Pulls out one of the A-dubs, one of the BMF, and a Mexican. And they take him downstairs. All these guys are high-ranking people. And they tell them what they tell them. They come back upstairs. They put them on the tier. And the guards come up. And the lieutenant says, all right, everybody's friends again. Tomorrow, you'll be unlocked for breakfast. Go about your business. Mm -hmm. No more problems, gentlemen. All right, they're gone. Two whites come down to my cell. Well, one of them, no. One took off. And he comes down and he goes, hey, check this out, youngster. He said, "Uh, you got a bad deal going. He said, but what we did tonight, oh, what happened was they were, the blacks went to go get some knives. Mm-hmm. And, and they were going to stab me. <clears throat> they stopped him and told him, hey, that dude handed your asses to you. Live with it. But there ain't going to be no more blood spilling tonight because if you spill a drop of his blood, we're going to show you what some real blood spilling's about. So it was squash for that night. But they came down. He came down and said, what we did, we're not supposed to do. Can't help you anymore, youngster. Yeah. You know, you got to find your own way. Yeah. And uh, he said, but I want you to know you're all right with us. Yeah. You know, but everybody was scared to death of this guy, you know. So I don't know what the hell is going to happen. I figured Okay, it's, I fought. I stood up for myself sober. No, no, I didn't know the politics and, 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 and the way it is. But mm-hmm. next morning at breakfast, I don't know how he already knew about it, but somewhere else in it, he knew. And he was number two of the A-dubs. I like this guy. He was, he was the opposite of the other guy. They called him the peacekeeper. He, would, he had no problems calling out a hit. But only when absolutely necessary. He tried diplomatic routes on all, all the, you know, on every other area. But when it came down to it, he did what he had. But he was a man, a fair man. You could talk to him. You could work out problems. Right. Uh, somebody said, go sit at that table. And I sat there and he said, well, youngster, I'm aware of what happened. Mm-hmm. 
He said, so what are you going to do? I said, just go about my business. He said, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. Things are, are different from mm -hmm. last night. He said, you know who you sent to the hospital? I said, no. And he told me. I said, what does that mean? He said, you embarrassed them. <laughs> he said, uh, and good for you. He said, however, there's repercussions. Your name is in the hat. You're greenlit. Mm -hmm. I said, what does that mean? He said, they're coming for you. I said, they're going to beat my ass. He said, no, they're going to kill you. Mm -hmm. I'm like, but they tried to raid me, man. What, what's wrong here? You know, and he said, put all that aside. Mm -hmm. They're coming to kill you. He said, are you a man? I said, I, I try to be, I, you know, I, I, I try to be, I'm trying to be, I'm growing. I'm, I'm, I'm still young. But, you know, I just want to get out of here. Mm -hmm. And now you're saying people are trying to kill me. Mm -hmm. And he said, listen, calm down. He says, all I can say is I can't go up against him right now. He said, none of us like what he's doing, but it's just not, we're not going up against him. It'd be all bad. He said, all you can do is reach inside and just be the best man you can be. And you do what you got to do. And you do it with your head held high and your mm -hmm. back straight. You do what you got to do. And you do it before they do it to you. Otherwise, you know, he says, you got to make a decision. Are you going to be a sheep or a wolf? And I'm feeling how serious this is. I'm it's still, I'm still not really grasping it, mm -hmm. the the full gravity of of my situation and what's happening to me. But the storm has come. The storm is has arrived, and <laughs> it's about to get bad. And I'm trying to suck all this in, and he says, and I hate to say this, it, it, it's it's bad. He said. But all you can do as a man, if necessary, is to live and die as a man. And it was like, you know, you know, what, you know, and, and something in me said, shut up. And I just, he said, you got to make a decision. If you're going to be a sheep, just go out there and pull your fucking pants down and let them put a dick in your ass. Because they're all going to be doing it. No. If you're going to be a wolf, then claim your, claim your place. Do what you know is the best thing to do, what you have to do, what you need to do. So a month goes by. I'm living in fear. Oh, he also told me, excuse me. He said something. He says, I want you to know something. If you ever need any assistance, like blanks or something, I said, what's the blank? He said, steal. I said, oh. He said, come on, you got to get with it. <laughs> you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know what a blank was. And he says, somebody's going to come to you today, and they're going to have a couple of things for you. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, they're going to tell you something. He said, and if any time you are in need of these things, you ask any white boy, and they say no to you, you come to me. You're not telling Mm -hmm. you come to me and I'll handle that. Mm -hmm. But no white boy will turn you down for, for one of these. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
I'm still really not hearing everything, but sure enough, somebody comes to me and he's got a couple of sharpened uh, knives. Uh, no, one was sharp, one wasn't. And the guy gives it to me, gives them both to me, and he says, you got to do your own. You got to put your own uh, a signature on, on, on your plate. Everybody mm -hmm. does their own. And so, I mean, at nighttime, I would be in the back of the cell with gloves on and just, you know, water on the floor. And it took me a long time. But my knives came out like bayonets. I got the sides really sharp and, you know, where hair would come off. Yeah, yeah. And I, I put one in a mattress with a piece of sheet with the handle and the other one I put a handle on it wet it in the toilet paper and you know and it, it was it was good and they were both I did was like maybe four inches of of a of, uh, of, uh, handle on the sheet on the handle and about six inches blade on both knives you know mm -hmm. hanging out mm -hmm. and they were flats mm -hmm. you know I don't like those ice picks because guys get hit with that don't even know they're getting hit yeah yeah <laughs> uh so I was kind of like, and I never really thought about using it and it didn't make me feel any safer, but at least I had them. Uh, so another month goes by, two months goes by and nothing. All I get is some stares. I'm starting to get a little bit hopeful. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking maybe this guy, the second in command, had a talk with the, with the Blacks. And told him, hey, this kid stood up for himself, man. Give him his respect. And so three months go by, and I know that's what he did. He he, he got me out of trouble, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, when I would see him, I'd say, hey, how you doing? You know, Start letting your guard <laughs> I down. I got a smile on my face. I'm convinced I'm cool now, right? Four months goes by. <laughs> I wake up one morning, and from the very get, something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. I woke up feeling something was wrong. Mm -hmm. Generally, I'm the first one out on a tier. Five o'clock, the guard comes by. And they came to where they say, last count. That's before they unlock the doors. 5.30, they come upstairs and unlock deadbolts. And you can slide your door open, but you couldn't. You can close it, but you can't lock it. Unless they do it from out there. And so I step out on the tier. And I see four blacks down there. One of them was one of the gophers that came into my cell that night. They took off that day. Yeah. And, but he's there now. And there's three others. And they got, you know, like uh, 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 sweatshirts on and beanie. You knew, you knew. I knew. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I go back in the cell and I grab the thing and I put, uh, 